All right, so we can start recording now. Ready to go? I guess. Are you ready? Yes. Awesome. Um, Well, hey, guys, this is uh, Chris Hill. DJ Loop. And uh, we're here today with the guys from the World's Beer... What? (laughs) I thought you were in the radio business. Humble beer podcast. Yeah. Humble, humble is what right. we try. The you world's say fair, humble. The world's fair beer. We're here with the world's fair beer guys. We got Harrison Collins and Rick Coleman here with us today, guys. Thank you for coming out and letting. Well, I guess letting us come to your place. Absolutely. Thanks, Chris. Yeah. Today we just wanted to hear more about what you all are doing. What the you know the story behind World's Fair Beer. I'm sure a lot of people are curious, especially those that have maybe seen the um, the cans around and not really were here for the World's Fair. Don't know the significance of that. So. We'd love to hear that and then just hear from you guys about what the plans are going forward for World's Fair Beer. So um, with that said, let's let's get started. T- Rick, tell us a little bit about your background and, um, and your, your history with the World's Fair Beer. Absolutely, Chris. So uh, my dad was a beer wholesaler. He uh, began distributing a beer called Gunther's in 1949, and I was born in 1950. And so the only thing we knew growing up that uh, was my dad was a beer wholesaler. We worked around the warehouse. We actually unloaded the railroad cars case by case uh, going down this uh, conveyor type belt that was not powered. We did it manually. And uh, that's kind of how we, we got into the uh, beer game. Uh, I went to UT, graduated, uh, went away to the Air Force, came back and began working for my dad. And at that time, my dad had a beer called Falstaff. Falstaff was uh, the beer that sponsored the game of the week with Pee Wee Reese and Dizzy Dean. Uh, but the beer in the uh, early 70s began to go down in sales. And we realized toward the end of that decade that my dad needed to sell his business. His partner, Joe Murphy, was in agreement. And so uh, I was the young guy that went to uh, one of our competitors. And uh, uh, the competitor considered us and, and declined our offer, but then came back and said, yeah, I think uh, we could make this happen. So my dad's business was sold to uh, a man named Pat Gleason, who owned Pinnacle Sales, which was a Slitz beer wholesaler, and his brand was going down a little bit, albeit not as badly as Falstaff. But we brought in a lot of the imported beers as well as the popular uh, price beers and even some of the sub-popular price beers that back in the uh, 70s and 80s were, were big hits. Large volumes, no mar- no real uh, uh, markup in the, uh, the uh, profit structure. So uh, in 1980, 1981, we heard about the World's Fair coming to Knoxville, and um, we then heard that Stroh out of Detroit, Michigan, became the, the official beer of the World's Fair. Word on the street was that was a million-dollar price tag, and they paid that, and they were the official beer of the World's Fair. So that meant that on the World's Fair site proper, that was the beer that was on the fair site, and no other beer could be on there except for the imports. And, oh, by the way, we did have a lot of the imports, so we were uh, going to be on the World's Fair site with the imports uh, back in those days, though, there was not much volume in, it, in the imported beers. Um, 
So in about 1981, we had uh, some people come to us that said, you know, what about World's Fair beer? And they had this can design, and they came and talked to us. And, and uh, I went, you know, that would be fun. That would be a great thing. I was 30 at the time. Um, I went to my boss, Pat Gleese. I said, uh, hey, let's, let's try this World's Fair beer. And he said, well, Rick, he said, uh, you know, uh, we have to make a minimum of uh, 240,000 cans uh, before we can even start, which is 10,000 cases. So you need to go out there and pre-sell 10,000 cases of this beer that no one's even heard of. Well, uh, I took that as a challenge, and myself and the driver salesman back then in the beer business, the driver of the truck was also the salesman. So he drove the truck, but he also sold the beer. But uh, those guys and me got together and made up this little order blank, and we took it to all of our retailers and said, hey, when the World's Fair starts, how many cases of World's Fair beer will you buy in your initial order? And when we brought all those uh, order blanks together, we actually had 10,000 cases. So we were good to go, and that's kind of how the World's Fair beer started. Uh, the can was made by Pearl in San Antonio, Pearl Brewing Company. Uh, it was brewed by Falstaff Brewing Company in Fort Wayne, Indiana. So the cans went from San Antonio to Fort Wayne. They were filled in Fort Wayne and then sent to Prosser Road to Pinnacle Sales Company, and then put on our delivery trucks and taken out to the retailers. Wow. So once they were, so were they actually sold at retail in Knoxville at the time, or was it just at the World's Fair site? No. See, we could not sell at the World's Fair site because it was not the official beer of the World's Fair. So we actually partnered with wholesalers in Nashville, Chattanooga, Tri-Cities, and in Cookville. So we were able to have this web of other wholesalers that helped distribute it with us. But these went to your bars. These went to your uh, package stores. These went to your grocery stores. And these were on the shelves next to the uh, big beers of the time um, at, at a premium price. So it was the same price as your Budweiser uh, and your, your premium beers of, of 1982. What we soon found out was that no one was really drinking the beer. They were buying the beer for the can because it was a great souvenir item. Hmm. So we realized that after about two weeks, we'd sold out of our, our first order of World's Fair beer. Now we had to decide, do we bring in more of the same, hoping more people will buy it, or do we make it a little different? And so we decided to make it different, so we changed the color of the can. So the next shipment we came, uh, excuse me, we uh, received was blue, and then we changed it to green. And then we went through, before the World's Fair was over, six months later after May 1st, we had nine different colors of the beer. So we would get one shipment of each color, and people would run out to their grocery stores or package stores or, or taverns and get that color of a can so they would have their complete set of world's fair beer cans by the time the world's fair was ended so taste was not even thought about was not even considered it was a light beer kind of like a miller light at the time people were very calorie conscious 96 calories was the the light beer uh, calorie count at the time and that's that's what we we used our beer to be wow so so after after the World's Fair, did you did you make any more? Or I assume it's limited time, limited release. It pretty much ended after the World's Fair, right? Chris, Christmas trees in January. How many Christmas trees do you sell when Christmas is over? Zero. When the World's Fair beer, uh, when World's Fair was over, October thirty first, nineteen eighty two. World's Fair beer sales pretty much came to a screeching halt. Luckily, we didn't have much inventory left, but. There wasn't much World's Fair beer to be sold after that. So we, we closed it down. We did talk to some people in New Orleans. 
1984, and they entertained the idea of World's Fair Beer in New Orleans, and they actually had one can that they put out. It was a, it was a blue can. It was a different color blue than ours was, uh, and it said 1984 edition. However, we don't know much more about that. I don't think they ever ordered it again. I think it was a one, one-shot deal, and I, I don't know how well it went on the World's Fair uh, sites in, uh, in New Orleans, but that was the last time World's Fair beer was even thought about. Okay. Wow. So after that, it became a collector's item. It was kind of a... Growing up, uh, my, my dad had several cases or cans in his garage and stuff. So I, I think, I, like I said, I still still do have some somewhere. <laughs> we have some somewhere of the original 82 World's Fair beer. That's cause, and I, I grew up thinking that was something that you only could get at the Silver Fair site. I didn't know that was a package deal. I actually just learned something. Humble humbleness there. Yeah, a little a little <laughs> bit of humbleness there. No, but uh, no, it's it's kind of cool. I didn't know. I thought I just assumed that it was something that you only only can get at the site. That was kind of cool. Yeah. And that, no, we were actually given permission to sell it, provided it would not be sold on the World World's Fair site oh, proper. That's cool. And we never sold it on the World's Fair site. That's cool. So everywhere around there could have it, just not the right. site itself. Exactly. Yeah. And everybody got it for the souvenir, so that's that's really neat. And then obviously collector's item. It's been a it's been a big myth legend of you know Knoxville beer, and of course you know here in the past year the rumors of it coming back have been pretty strong, and everybody's been really excited to hear it come back. Um, it's funny. I, I I had some people. We had some people on um, on Instagram asking us even like, is this real? Are these like, is this legit, or is this just someone trying to take the name and reuse it again? And so it's cool that we have the guy originally behind World's Fair bringing it back, as well as Harrison um, helping helping bring it back as well. So Harrison, what's what's your background with Rick? What how did you get involved in all this, and and how did all this start for you? Um, wild story as. As Rick tends to meet anyone since he's the unofficial mayor of Knoxville, um, <laughs> we got to know each other uh, while I was in college. And, you know, given what he does with his job, he, he basically, I think God has allowed him to multiply the hours in his day because he invested so many people around Knoxville. And I just happened to be one of those guys. And I had moved away and got married for... Um, I'd moved away to North Carolina, got married, and my wife and I moved back to Knoxville. And I was sort of on the job hunt, and Rick was helping me out with that. And then Rick called me into his office one day, and he sort of had this different tone in his voice. And, um, and he wouldn't tell me what it was over the phone, but he said, I need you to come to my office. And I thought, oh, man, I'm in trouble. or there's, <laughs> there, You know, there's, something has gone terribly wrong. And um, then he gets all excited when I show up and he tells me he's been kicking around the idea of bringing World's Fair beer back for a good portion of his life. He's not getting any younger and he's, he's, he's ready to, to bring it back and he's wondering if, if I would take part in that. And so, you know, I, I had told my wife that if Rick had ever approached me about anything, no matter what it was, you know, if, if there was an opportunity that Rick had that, or if you needed help with anything, I would drop what I was doing, no matter what the situation was, and just jump all in. And so this was one of those moments where Rick gave me a call. He said, you know, you want to be a part of this. And then it's been no looking back and pedal to the metal ever since then. So 
Yeah, a wild ride with Rick. That's what we've been calling it. Yeah, I can imagine. Um, so so you, you, you jump onto this wild ride, you get moving in it. Um, what became um, the focus for bringing it back? I mean, what, what, what's, what's so significant about right now, and what, why does it matter that it's coming back, say, this year versus any other? Right, so this year is the 35th anniversary of the fair. Um, so, but not only that, so, you know, that's a, an incredible anniversary and, um, of an event that really put Knoxville on the map. You know, I missed that by 10 years. I was but a twinkle in my parents' eyes and not even <laughs> thought of at the time when the World's Fair was here. But, um, you know, this incredible event that sort of shaped the direction of Knoxville's future as far as being no longer just a, an exit off of the interstate while you're going to Nashville or, or Asheville, but a place where you really want to come and visit and build a home and family. And um, anyways, not only was it that, but it's this like changing of the tides in the beer scene in Knoxville as well. So I think, you know, we couldn't have predicted this, but we're poised just at the right time when um, the craft beer scene is reaching an all-time high in Knoxville. And, you know, here we are 35 years later, what was this light beer and this sort of whimsical, iconic piece of Knoxville history is now coming back, but this time redone as a craft beer. It's just, you know, I feel like timing couldn't be better. And so it makes it all special. And, you know, having grown up in Knoxville, Rick and I, as well as you guys can both attest, there's just no place like it where you always want to support the home team. And, um, you know, I sort of joke about it when other people have asked me too, you know, Knoxville has this undying belief that every year the Vols are going to win the national championship. No matter how good or bad we may be, we are going to win it, baby. And so um, that's sort of how people have been feeling about World's Fair beer as well. It's this amazing piece of Knoxville history that people love and adore. Just like you were saying, DJ, it's, you grew up, it was, it was in your garage or in your parents' house. I mean, when we were serving it at Prohibition, every single person that came up to our booth, if, if they were younger, they said, my dad has a case of this in his house. Or if they were older, they said, I have every version of this in my house. And it's just this fun thing to be bringing back. And so we're honored that we get to be doing it. And that, I mean, one of the coolest things is you got uh, the godfather of craft beer in Knoxville, Marty Vellis, uh-huh. on board. I mean, I think and that gives, that in turn gives the beer its credibility, I think. Right. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, de- definitely Marty, but definitely also the fact that... I mean, we, yeah, but it yeah. gives it its craft credibility. True. The, the, yeah. I mean, it has, it has the credibility of it, the original people behind it um, and the original people who brought it back, but it has the craft beer, uh, I think, stamp now that right. it ha- you, have, you have somebody like a Marty Vellis. You essentially have the community stamp of approval in addition to the history and, the, and everything else behind it. So it's, it's a perfect storm. Yeah, yeah it, that was a good marriage for us. Um, I can't tell you how many things, you know, and that's sort of been my role is to figure out how to make this possible. Because when, and Rick can tell you too, but in 1982, there were just no rules about government regulations and, you know, all these things that you had to get approved before you could start producing beer or throw something on a can. You know, now there's all this, um, this cumbersome, 
work that you got to jump through to, to get it done. And so as we were going through this process, I called Marty. It just happened to be on his birthday. And uh, <laughs> so he didn't pick up. And he, he told me later that was probably just a result of him celebrating. But he called me back about a month later and told me that he was really interested. And, that, you know, this was sort of as we thought, man, this is really that we could really do this, but we just need to find the right person to brew it. And we, you know, we, we didn't really know, but when Marty called us, that for us, that was a sign of, okay, we're going ahead. This, this is the perfect marriage for us. And from then on, I mean, he's been so incredible to work with. And his whole team over there at Fanatic, you know, being mm. set up side by side with them at, at festivals and serving, we're so proud to say, our beer is brewed at Fanatic Brewing Company. And so, um, yeah, they've been incredible to us and certainly have given us a stamp of approval because people were excited that it was coming back, no doubt about it. But I think there was always this lingering question of, but is it going to be a good beer? And, yeah. you know, when we worked with Cherokee on distributing it, that was their question too. They said, no doubt people are going to be interested and excited about this, but it's got to taste good for people to care. And... Um, yeah, as soon as they tried a sample of it and got a taste of, you know, the recipe that Chase on our team had developed that Marty had then perfected, they said, okay, absolutely, we're on board and excited to distribute. That's great. Um, so so you, you mentioned distribution. Obviously, Marty is helping with um, with a batch for you guys, at least one, I probably, probably more than that, but helping mm-hmm. brew for the kegs and all that. Um, what are you guys doing outside of that? I mean, the cans were obviously the most important thing. How how were the cans coming back? So I'll hit on this some, and Rick, feel free to jump in. But we wanted to come back first on draft as a statement, as if to say, this time it's meant to be drank and not hey, just to I collect like dust. <laughs> um, you know, and because that has been everyone's classic one-liner is, I hope this tastes better than the old stuff. And we're then quick to respond we didn't have to try too hard, you know, and it's, (laughs) (laughs) so, um, and everyone has been, you know, thoroughly pleased and, you know, big improvements from World's Fair beer circa 1982. So, um, anyways, cans, we, we wanted everyone to be able to wet their whistle basically on, you know, the taste of World's Fair beer 2017. Um, and now our cans will be arriving in late June. So, yeah, folks can be expecting to take a six-pack or more home with them uh, starting in late June. I want to, one to drink and one to collect this time around. Yeah, <laughs> yeah this time you'll have empty cans and, of World's Fair yeah. beer stored on your shelf instead of full ones that have just been there for 35 years. That's cool. And that, and that apparently you try at Brewhibition, as I, as I saw. Yes, they, they did crack <laughs> one open. That was, that was actually... Um, you know, Ratchet, he's, he sort of helps run a social account, and he works with Fanatic and Sugar Mamas. He, he said, do you have any of the old beer? And I said, yeah, why? I want to try this stuff, man. And we're like, okay, but we're not responsible for what happens after you drink it. <laughs> and, uh, oh. Sounds like Ratchet. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, he actually enjoyed it. Um, Good. But the, the more he got towards the bottom of the can, the... Thicker the beer got, if you know what I mean. Oh, Lord. It got a little chunky. <laughs> I can imagine after 35 years, it would yeah. be a little chunky. Yeah. 
most people are after 35 years, but <laughs> bad joke. Um, <laughs> and that's why you go work out. Um, no, but, but that's, that's really cool. So, you know, on the, on the business side, I know a lot of people that listen to our podcast are either home brewers or some of them are like brewers or craft beer people, just craft beer lovers. What, what's, what are the, what were the logistics like behind the canning? Are you doing that with Fanatic as well? Or is that, is that being done differently? Can that be, even be discussed? So I'm about to drop a bomb on your podcast here. Get ready. All right. So as far as finding capacity and the canning line and ability to, to move forward with the cans, um, that was another thing where we were searching for the perfect partner. Um, and anyways, we found a great partner out of Fat Bottom Brewing Company nice. in Nashville. And so they had capacity. They were excited about it. They knew of the legend of World's Fair beer. Yeah. They actually work with Marty a lot on, you know, collaborating with recipes and, you know, Marty's reputation is oh, good. goes pretty far, you know, through the state of Tennessee and beyond. And so, yeah, we are thankful to be partnering with them. And, you know, of course, our distributor here in Knoxville and Tri-Cities, Cherokee, they already carry Fat Bottom. And so it, it just ended up being this really great sort of family ordeal that, we happen to, you know, all get put together. And it's just one of those things that it's too good to be true. So yeah. anyways, yeah, we're, we're thankful that that's all worked out. And yeah, that's, that's the news on the cans. That's exciting. That's where it's going down. So what, what about um, beyond, beyond bringing the cans back, beyond bringing all that back, um, what, what's next? What's after, what's after the cans get launched? We need to get rid of the cans. So we need yes. to drink it. <laughs> I don't think you're going to have trouble there. Yeah. So, you know, we, in keeping with the fair, we wanted to run it as it was in 1982, um, from May 1st to October 31st. So run it for six months. And then we really want the people to tell us what to do. You know, there were nine different can designs. So should we do this for nine straight years, bring back a, a seasonal brew, change it up a little bit each time and put it in a different can each year. You know, that, those are sort of our thoughts, but we want to know what, what the people want. And so maybe you guys have insight into that. I don't know. I don't know. Is this going to be a seasonal beer? Yeah. So, you know, now it's our, our pale ale and, um, Chase, who's our, um, puts together all of our recipes and, you know, he started as a homebrew enthusiast and then just went on to master all sorts of recipes and has won many competitions across the Southeast um, and worked with Marty on putting together our first recipe. He's got all these up his sleeve that he wants to put into production into our cans. Because, you know, the original ones, it was Falstaff Light in each can. Yeah. Um, and so this go-round, we think... Well, every time we change the can design, we should have a different beer in it. Um, and something, you know, that will sort of appeal to the masses, and we feel like our pale ale does that. Not anything too wild that would turn a lot of people away, but something where everyone would be really excited about it. Yeah. Okay. So changing colors up and doing that. But, I mean, it's the, um, but the beer is going to be year-round. People are going to be able to buy it year-round? Oh, no, just... For now, we're, we're saying in keeping with the fair, we want to keep it seasonal from May 1st to October 31st. I like that. So there'll be a dry period starting in November 
all the way through, you know, until May comes back around. So create some demand for it. Yeah. That's cool. That's cool. What, um, I think at one time, and, and you can correct me if I'm wrong on this, but I think at one time you also mentioned there's like a, a social aspect to this as well beyond just bringing back the beer. Right. Is, is that still part of the plan? We can edit this out later if, if for some reason I'm like completely off on this. No, no, you're absolutely right. <laughs> so, and it, it's even mentioned on our website, but, you know, Rick, as well as his, as his son, who's also named Rick, myself and Chase, we have all feel like Knoxville has given us so much. Um, and so, really, this, bringing back this beer is more than any business idea for us. You know, of, of course, the challenge of that is really fun and exciting for us, but we wanted it to give us something more and an opportunity to be able to give back to the city that has given so much to us. And so... Um, that's why we've decided that 20% of all of our profits made will be pumped back into the nonprofits and the organizations that make such a difference here in Knoxville. Wow. So it's not, I mean, it's not much, especially considering all that this city has given us, but we feel like if that's the least we can do, then, you know, we feel honored that, you know, that's something that can come as a result of World's Fair Beer. You know, this thing that had this whimsical piece of Knoxville history now coming back and you know it it would be it would be a missed opportunity if if all it did was line the pockets of people who developed it you know so that's why we wanted to be able to give it back to knoxville yeah and that's what i was gonna say that's what one of my questions gonna be how do you differentiate this from just a gimmick to an actual product and beer and and social um I guess it's almost a social experiment to see how people react to it and stuff. So it is different, and, and I'll tell you why. And I learned this when I was growing up. My dad, he knew a lot of the people that drank his beer, and people didn't necessarily say they were drinking such and such a brand. They would say, I'm drinking FB's beer. My dad's initials were FB. That's what he went by. And it was really cool, and so with our can, we're actually dedicating this can to Pat Gleason, my old boss, and uh, he recently uh, died uh, of ALS, Um, and uh, it was really cool. Right before he died, I went to see him, and um, his daughters were there, and his wife, and I told him that we were thinking about doing this World's Fair beer, and that we were going to dedicate it to him, and he he couldn't couldn't speak... um, very well, but he, but you could tell that he was he was really excited about that. So to me, what what I think makes this beer different is it is a Knoxville true Knoxville brew that was brewed during the World's Fair in Knoxville for Knoxville, uh, and also that it's dedicated to a Knoxvillian who uh, during his prime of life gave a lot back to the city. So I feel like that. What we offer is more of a personalized um, hometown kind of product where people can identify as a Knoxvillian, as a, as a person that's moved to Knoxville, but they can say, yeah, this is, this is kind of a Knoxville thing. This is a, a home team thing, and, and I want to be connected with it. And so I think that's what makes this product a little different. And then the fact that we would love to give money back to the nonprofits of our community or some of the nonprofits makes it, makes it a little different. Yeah. That's so cool. That's great. Hey, Chris, let me, let me tell y'all one other thing too about the draft. So it's in 1983, 
our distributorship was honored to become the Coors wholesaler when Coors opened up the rest of the East Coast. And it was interesting because what Coors did was when they came in is they only offered draft beer. What their, their uh, objective was is to get as many draft accounts as they could, and they kept those draft accounts uh, because it would be three to six months before the actual cans were brought into the market. So as we were discussing this, uh, and obviously uh, because you have to buy so many cans, we knew that that wasn't going to be an option right off the bat. But but really introducing the draft first, uh, like Harrison said, it gets people to taste the brew, to, to taste what we are trying to, to make. And then when the can comes out, it's not a surprise. It is to some people that have never tried it before, but to a lot of people that follow craft beers, they go, oh, I've had this. Uh, in my famous uh, or my favorite tavern, I'm going to try this in the can to see what it's like. So I think it's a really good marketing approach, and and it's not mine. It's it, it came from uh, Coors back in the back in the 80s. I mean, um, I've already I have several friends that work at different uh, local uh, uh, package establishments, beard beer market, um, uh, Trailhead, and Casual Pint. And I had a friend even tell me that um, he hasn't had received. The last beer he received as this many phone calls for was Cold Mountain. And I don't know if you know what Cold Mountain is, but Cold Mountain is one of the most offered beers in the southeast during this time period, or during the, during the, during the I guess, November time period. Everybody yeah. wants to get their hands on the Cold Mountain, the bombers, the, um, the bottles, but he says he hasn't heard any kind of this many phone calls and demand wanting those cans since, or wanting that package since Cold Mountain. So you guys are starting off on the right foot, I think. Absolutely. Well, where can so it's on draft now? Where can people go and get it? Well, because I'm getting thirsty. <laughs> <laughs> getting some cotton mouth in here. Well, you can find that on our website. It's, it's sort of always changing. Um, our first weekend that we opened, we started with 15 accounts because we knew we were going to sell out quickly, and so we wanted to be able to restock because it's sort of this honeymoon period. You know, yeah. World's Fair beer is back, and we knew demand was going to be higher. And then it, at some point it'll plane off, and um, but I know that at, at Beard and Beer Market, we heard from them that supposedly they sold out. They floated their keg in two hours or something like that. So, wow. um, so our list is we try to update it as much as we can, but it it sells out quickly. And so I don't, as I say this, just uh-huh. know that it may be different by the time <laughs> that someone goes there to get it. But you can find an updated list. Um, on our website, worldsfairbeer.com. Okay. It's just under the tab, find our beer. Try to make it pretty straightforward. Pretty that's easy. that's great. That's yeah. Great. We'll, we'll post a link directly to that on our website as well. That way it makes it easy for people to find. Right. But you can find it in pretty much all your high-volume accounts. So Aubrey's, Backdoor Tavern, Barley's, both in Knoxville and Maryville, um, Bearden Hill Fieldhouse, Cafe 4, Central Flats and Taps, Clancy's, Cool Beans, Drake's, Fieldhouse Social, Half Barrel, Harpoon Harry's in Pigeon Forge, Holy Taco in Johnson City, Hops and Hollers, Maple Hall, Model City Taco, or sorry, Model City Top House, Scrappy Doll, Sugar Mama, Sunspot, Sutries, Sweet Peas. That was a good little marriage for us because they love the World's Fair. Oh, they're huge on the World's Fair. Yeah, Atlantic Ale House, Casual Pints. We're in, we're in pretty much all the Casual Pints. Um, and I just heard from uh, Cherokee today that we're going into Tupelo Honey, 
as well. Right. Excellent. So, yeah, so it's it's been really fun for us, and you know the the list changed because people want to, you know, you'll be on an account, and then as soon as you sell out, they want to replace it with something different, so they have a constantly changing line to keep people coming back. So, anyways, we might be somewhere today and another place tomorrow, but we'll try to keep everyone as updated as possible. That's great. Um, so where can people find, other than your website, where can people find out about World's Fair Beer? Is there social media or anything like that? Yep, yep. So we're on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn even. Okay. For all you young professionals out there. <laughs> um, but yeah, social media is a great way to keep up with us, just at World's Fair Beer. And um, yeah, that's where you can keep up to date with all the happenings, what's going on, what's the buzz, pun intended. <laughs> of <World's> Fair Beer. <laughs> awesome. You had to have gotten that yeah. on this yeah. before. Uh, <laughs> actually, no, we've we've never gotten that. And we, we, we've never had my friend Jerry on, so we haven't had many puns on here. No, 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 no. <laughs> well, you guys should use that from now on. That, there we, we go. go. Courtesy of World's Fair Beer. The buzz about humble beer. There Brought to you go. by World's Fair <laughs> Beer. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> well, cool. Um, well, guys. DJ, do you have anything else? No, I'm, I mean, I just thank you guys for being on here. And uh, I think uh, I really do appreciate that because, I mean, there has been a lot of, uh, I mean, just kind of almost uh, speculation. People want to know what, what, what it's about, how it started, how it came back. I think you guys cleared up basically all the, all the, the Internet chatter and the speculations. And, and, and I think, the, I mean, the story behind it is better than I expected almost. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's really cool, and we're excited to have you guys back. So, so Rick, Colin, or Colin Harrison, thank you. <laughs> See that I, I start on a bad note, I end on a bad note. That's it's how okay. We, no. It's how we keep humble you, here. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> oh yeah, but guys, thank you all thank for being on the podcast. So yeah. And, thanks for having us. It's just a blast. Absolutely. And um, with that, remember to stay humble and try new beer, especially World's Fair beer. All right. Thank you, guys. Way down in the bar